Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Amen. We've been emphasizing it from the beginning of this year that faith works by love and that in Christ, nothing is more important than faith working by love. That's what the Apostle Paul taught us in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6. So, Receiving from God is a part of our, using our faith. God wants us to receive the things that he has provided for us. That's why Jesus died for those things that he provided for us to be received by faith. So we're going to talk about that this morning, receiving by faith. First, second Peter chapter one, look at verse four. <clears throat> Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Stop right there just for a moment whereby are given unto us. We've been given exceeding great and precious promises. Let that ring in your ears. We've been given exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. Wow. By what? By these exceeding great and precious promises having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. God's method of operation is this. He makes a promise, and after he makes the promise, someone believes the promise and acts on the promise, and then God makes the promise a reality. That's how it works. In other words, God makes a promise, and we partake of that promise by faith. Even though the promise is made, if we don't partake of it, it doesn't become a reality. It's almost like this. Anybody ever here play chess or checkers or anything like that? If you play by the right rules, one person moves. And then when that person moves, the second person moves. And then the first player moves again. And the first player doesn't move twice in a row. He has to wait for the second player to move. Well, it's like that with God. He makes a move by making a promise. We make a move by believing the promise and acting upon it. He then makes a move by making it a reality. That's how it works. Just like checkers. And let's take, for example, salvation. He makes a move by sending Jesus to die for us and offers the promise of eternal life to anybody who would want it. But even though I was in a church for 24 years and I never learned how to receive that promise by acting on it and believing in it, I was there for 24 years, but I wasn't saved. I didn't know how to be saved. And so even though the promise was made, it wasn't a reality to me. But one day someone came along and told me, hey, Bill, you must be born again to make heaven. Never heard that. Kind of upset for 24 years, never heard that. Well, I finally got a revelation of what it meant. And when I did, guess what I did? I made my move. I said, Jesus... Come into my heart to be my Savior and Lord. So that was my move. See, the promise was already made, his move. My move was to say, I accept that, I receive that. And guess what he did? His next move was 
recreate my spirit and give me a brand new heart. I was a partaker of the divine nature. And that man on the inside that was dead all of a sudden became alive in Christ. But you see, none of that happened until I made my move. So if I didn't make my move, you get the picture, there wouldn't have been an end result. I would not have received from God the miracle of the new birth. Well, the same thing is true with whatever it is that God has promised. Notice there are many exceeding great and precious promises that are ours. But we need to know that. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 6 and verse 17, notice what we are called as a believer. We're in God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise. The heirs of promise. Show them what? The immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath. So in other words, he calls every believer an heir of promise. What is an heir? Someone has a legal right to something. A legal right, for example, to rank, like you're next in line to be the king. A legal right to someone's property after the person dies and leaves it to you. You're an heir. You have the legal right to something. We all have legal rights to all the exceeding great and precious promises of God. But it's our responsibility to make our move, believe in the promise, and act on the promise. Let me give you one of those exceeding great precious promises. He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You like that promise? He will never leave you nor forsake you. When you feel abandoned, when all your emotions tell you that God is a million miles away, it doesn't matter. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now notice this, so that you may boldly say, boldly say what? The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. So what was his move? To say, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That's the promise. What's my move? The Lord's my helper. And yet, a lot of people, when they're going through troubling times, where's God? I don't know where he's at. It doesn't feel like he's near me and all that. And so they say all the negative things because of the feelings and the emotions that, were, that are genuine that we encounter. But what does he want us to say? In order to make the promise a reality, he says, no, don't do that. Say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. Whether it's COVID, whether it's war, whatever it might be, he said, say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood before the king, and the king said, if you do not bow, we'll throw you into the burning fiery furnace. They said, this is a small thing for us to answer. Our God can, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. You see, he, they made their move. And what did God do? He made his next move. He showed up and delivered them from the burning fiery furnace. But had they not said that, then God's not able to do his part. So, it's like chess, like checkers. God makes a move by making a promise. We make a move by believing and acting on a promise. And then God makes it a reality. He's got the hard part. Now, when it comes to, let's say, something like a promise, this promise that he makes or that he gives to us enables us to partake of the divine nature, which is the manifestation of the ability and power of God. But a promise with regard to, let's say, humanity or a human being, really, it's not something that is as dependable as God. Think about it. It's limited as far as man is concerned. Anybody ever make you a promise but didn't follow through with it? Anyone? Have you ever made a promise that didn't follow through? You see, man can make promises, but man's promises, once again, they are limited. And really, they have limited value as well. Why? 
Well, because we're not infallible beings. For example, let's just say tomorrow morning you say to someone, a close friend of yours, I'm going to meet you over at, uh, let's say, Eaton Park. We're going to have lunch at 12 o'clock. I promise you. You promise me you'll be there? I promise you I'll be there. I promise you I will be there at 12 o'clock. I give you my word. So you're there sitting at uh, Eaton Park at 12 o'clock, and you're waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. It's 12.15, and you're waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. It's 12.30, and you're waiting, and finally you leave by 12.45, and you say, oh. Now, as good as our intentions are, we're, we are fallible beings, and we can make mistakes, or we could forget, or we could do something wrong, or whatever. But things can happen in between the promise and the fulfillment of the promise. You realize that. Well, what can happen? This person thinks he got stood up. Person didn't show up. Finally that night, late that night, he gets a call. I was on my way to meet you at 12 o'clock. I was involved in a car accident. I was taken to the hospital. Didn't even have my phone. I was going in and out of consciousness. So I couldn't, that's why I wasn't there. Now, had that person known he was going to be in a car accident, would he have made the promise? Never would have made the promise, right? No. He didn't intend to renege on the promise or not fulfill the promise, but because we are fallible, limited, finite human beings that could say something, mean something at the moment that we say it, and we really mean it, but something like that can happen along the way. It's not that the person intentionally did it, but there was an accident. Now, when it comes to God's promises, you got your seatbelt on? Joshua 21, let's look at verse 45. Not a single one of all the good promises the Lord had given to the family of Israel was left unfulfilled. Everything he had spoken came to pass. Did you hear that? Not a single one of all the good promises the Lord has given to the family of Israel was left unfulfilled. Everything he spoke came to pass. Now, God is infallible. And God knows the beginning from the end. And when God makes a promise, he will fulfill it. You know why? Number one, he has the resources to fulfill it. <clears throat> Number two, he doesn't drive. So he's not going to get into an accident along the way, right? Absolutely. So we see that God is a faithful God and God will faithfully fulfill every promise that he makes. It's up to us to find the promise and then believe and act on the promise. Why? So God can fulfill the promise and make it a reality. This is how faith works. We're not just aimlessly, you know, walking around thinking, well, is God going to do this? Is God going to do that? No, no, no. Find the promise. That's the key to faith. Did God make a promise? And if he made the promise, then take that promise, believe that promise, act upon that promise, and God will make it good. Look at the book of Hebrews in chapter 6, one of 17 right on through the end. We'll start with verse 17, if that's okay. Can we back it up to 17? That's all right. Forget it. We'll go to 18. That by two immutable things in which it was impossible, everybody say impossible, for God to lie. You see, it's impossible for God to lie. That is an impossibility. That we might have a strong consolation or faith 
who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us, which hope we have, now notice this expression, as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters into that within the veil, whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, verse 17 said we're the heirs of promise. Verse 18 says that God swore by an oath and he cannot lie. And he wants us to understand that he cannot lie. And if he makes a promise, that promise must be fulfilled if someone believes it and acts upon it. He says this, this reality or this understanding is an anchor for the soul. What's the soul, the mind, will, emotions, and intellect of an individual? You see, whenever we step out and we launch out of the boat, we begin to walk on the water, believing that God is answering our prayer. What happens? All these doubts come against our minds, warring against our minds to make us think like Peter walking on the water. You can't walk on water. Well, I've been doing it now. But you see, he keeps on gnawing away at his soul, his mind, will, emotions, intellect. To let them know you can't do that. To get them to doubt that. So now, between the promise and the fulfillment of the promise, we could call this a wilderness in between. And the way we act here will determine the outcome as to whether or not we actually experience the fulfillment of the promise. That's how faith works. The Israelites under Moses didn't enter in the promised land because they were full of what? Unbelief. But under Joshua's leadership, they got in because they were full of what? Faith. So you see, it was nothing to do with God, his promise and his fulfillment. It had everything to do with what they believed and how they acted in the wilderness. So we see here the soul needs anchor to something. Well, what does it need anchor to? The faithfulness of God to perform his promise. Look in the book of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith. Without wavering. Remember James says you can't waver or you won't receive anything from the Lord. For he is what? Faithful that promised. Did God make a promise? That's the key. And if he made a promise, he is faithful to fulfill that promise. What is needed for, for me to get a hold of the promise, believe it, and then anchor my soul. What does an anchor do? Keeps us in place. You see, the mind will begin to wonder and begin to doubt. Unbelief will just begin to rule and to reign after we've asked God to do something. If we think we have nothing to do with the fulfillment of the promise, you see, then once again, we're being misled and deceived. We must hold fast our confession of faith. Now, the scriptures give us a perfect classic example of what faith is and how it works in the life of Abraham and Sarah. So let's look at that in Romans chapter 4 and verse 17. These statements made by the Apostle Paul gives us a revelation of what took place in the lives of Abraham and Sarah when God began to use them to bring the nation of Israel into being. And of course, you know the story from there. But as it is written, notice this here. I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who quickens the dead and calls things that be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. And when he was about a hundred years old, wow, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb at 90. 
He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, which is the song we just got done singing. Now, notice what he's saying here. God made a promise to Abraham that he would become the father of many nations. Now, back in that culture, a name meant something important. Can you imagine the ridicule he probably took that is Abram at the time? Knowing that his name meant father, father of many, people calling him that, he doesn't have one child. Think about it. It's almost like something to laugh at. Really? They named you that and you don't even have a child? God said to him, I am making you the father, not just of many, but of many nations of a great multitude, is what he said. That was his promise. And the Bible says that he believed God. Now, this promise goes beyond all experience. It goes against nature. It goes against common sense. It doesn't seem possible. He's 100 years old. She's 90 years old. When he made the promise, they were 75 and, and 85 years old. And all these years are going by, and God made this declaration, this promise to them, that you are the father of many nations. Well, how feasible is that? How realistic is that? How logical is that? It goes against experience, it goes against nature, it goes against common sense, but the Bible says that he believed. Now, I did some research, and at one point, the oldest individual who ever gave birth to a child was this woman, Maria, here, that I have written for Del Carmen Basado Delara. She was 66 years old when she gave birth. But since then, I found that in a later time, in 2008, I think it was, someone, another woman, she gave birth to twins at the age of 72. Caesarean, but still gave birth to two, to twins at that age. Okay. Sarah was 90 years old. Abraham was 100 years old. Do you think that God did this for a reason? To show us that no matter how impossible the impossibility is, it is so easy for humans to think this way. It's beyond experience. It's beyond nature. It is beyond common sense. There's no way someone 90 years of age is going to have a baby. So don't even let your brain go in that direction because that is an impossibility. But you know what? Even though God knew they did not have the seeds of life in them, they had no little Isaac in them at all. God said he spoke life out of death. God who calls things that be not as though they were. I'm calling you the father of many nations. I'm calling you the mother of nations. He spoke that into them. He brings life from death. Resurrection life from death. And guess what? They were able to conceive. Abraham finally got to the point where he believed that God can do the impossible even when the impossible seems that impossible. We pray and ask God to do something, and if we get one challenge along the way, all of a sudden we doubt that God heard us and that he's moving. Look at, look at verse four, chapter 4, verse 18 again. He says, I've made you the father of many nations, who against hope, meaning it was impossible, believed in hope, meaning if God said it, then it's possible, that he might become the father of many nations, according to what? That which was spoken, or the promise. So shall thy seed be. Well, let's look at the promise that was made to Abraham. Go to Genesis chapter 13, I believe, verse 16. 
I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth. I'm pointing this out to show us this. Our faith is based on a promise that God made. If we don't have the promise, then we, we can't have faith. But if we find the promise, and we know the promise was made to us, now we got faith, we could believe and act upon that, and God will make that a reality. Look what he says. I will make your seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, so shall, then shall thy seed also be numbered. What is he saying? You're going to have so many kids, Abraham, like the dust of the... Have you ever had the sunlight come into your house when you dusted and you thought that all the dust was gone? And you saw all the dust just flying around your house and you just go, oh my goodness, <laughs> where's it all coming from? He said, if you, can, if you can count the dust of the earth, then you can count how many children you're going to have. That was one. Look at chapter 15. He says to Abraham, I brought him forth abroad and said, look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said to him, so shall thy seed be. I'm telling you, you want a visual, the dust that you see, you're going to have that many kids if you can count them. You thought having two was bad. And then he says, now as much as the stars in the sky, if you can count them, and there's one more in chapter 22, I believe it is, 22, that in blessing I will bless thee, in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. Now notice the visuals. It's the dust, it's the stars, it's the sand. It seems like you are going to have so many children, you're going to want to run. Who's going to want to raise them all? I mean, my goodness. He's making it so impossible. Can you see this? He's making it so impossible that you can't wrap your brain around. I don't even have one when he's saying all this. It's so staggering that it goes beyond all reason. It goes beyond all nature. It goes beyond all common sense. And I believe God does that for a reason, just to show his mighty power and glory, how great he is. It doesn't matter how impossible. Look at verse 19. See, something that staggers means it goes beyond all reason. When you stagger, it's like something that you can't even wrap your brain around. And being not weak in faith... He considered not his own body now dead. When he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Let's stop right there just for a moment. Did he consider or did he not consider his body? When you put that in its proper setting and you have an understanding of all of Scripture, you find out this. He, what he said was, he considered the fact that his body was dead, being a hundred years old, but if God made a promise, that promise is to be exalted above Nature, above reason, above common sense. And so, as a result, he believed that God could do the impossible. And same thing with Sarah. But let me show you how this doesn't just happen to happen. Even when it comes to us, we think we got it all because we've heard how faith works and all that. Let me tell you something. You don't got it until you really get it. I mean that. Because you know what Abraham and Sarah did? The promise was made when they were 75 and 85. Years had gone by, and they're almost pushing 90 and 100. Okay. But in between that, the place that God in faith, Sarah says, this believing God thing has been going on long enough, honey. It's been going on long enough. 
Let's help God. Go get Hagar. Bring her in. Have a kid with her. And that'll be the seed. He goes, okay. Are you sure, honey? Twist my arm. Okay. So what, what does he do? He does it. And what do they do? They have Ishmael. And it's been history since that, right? And what is Ishmael called? A work of the flesh. Not a work of the spirit, a work of the flesh. In the flesh, they thought they could help God out by having a child with Hagar. And then when God comes along, he says, uh-uh, I didn't say that's how it's going to happen, Sarah. You are going to have a baby. At the age of 90, you will give birth. You know what? They finally got the point. Abraham said to Sarah, he meant what he said. Honey, you're having the baby. That's all there is to it. You are having the child. Now they're in faith. See, along the way, we could have all kinds of doubts. Along the way, we could try to help God out by doing this, that, and the other thing. He says, "Uh uh-uh, just be still and know that I am God. Don't focus on the impossibility. Anchor your soul to the promise. And the promise is, you are a father of many nations, and you are the mother of nations. That's the promise, and don't stagger. Don't let reason come in and stop your faith from being effective. You believe God for something, you ask God for something, you believe you receive it, and then all of a sudden you get bombarded with doubt, unbelief, and all these different things come against you. Your emotions come against you. Your feelings come against you. When Andrew was born, and we were told he has no left pulmonary artery, you talk about a hopeless situation when they say, let him die in your arms or let him die in there in surgery. Those are your two options. And we're standing there looking at these highly intelligent doctors and have to say, what am I? I'm not a lay, I'm a lay person. I don't know anything about medical science and all that. And I just say, I said to the doctors, do what you have to do. We believe God. That's anchoring your soul. Anchor your soul to what God says. I know you say it's impossible. I know you say it's unreasonable. I know you say it goes against nature. I know you say it goes against medical science. I know you, you say that you can't make a left pulmonary artery. But you know what? We've asked God to give him one. And guess what? God gave him one. He grew one to normal size in nine months because we held fast to our confession of faith without wavering, knowing that God is greater than the report of man or even the natural report. It's beyond reason. Thank God we don't have to depend just on reason. Look at verse 20. He refused to allow the natural physical realities to take precedence over the promise of God is what he did. In verse 20, He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. To stagger means to reason or to argue over something. He didn't let reasoning take over and take precedence in the situation. Because in the natural, it looks so impossible. Well, let me ask you this question. When you stand before a Red Sea, and you've got a mountain on that side, a mountain on that side, and the Egyptians behind you, and all you've got is a Red Sea in front of you, that looks like you're doomed, doesn't it? It sure does. And so they cry out to God and God says, you don't think there's a solution here? It seems impossible, doesn't it? Did you ever think that maybe uh, you could just walk across on dry ground, walk across the sea? Whoever thought of that? Stretch forth the rod and that's what happened. 
Our minds don't go in that direction. God sees beyond what we can see, that's for sure. But you see, all we see is the problem. Look, the problem should never be seen as bigger than the promise. The promise of God is bigger than the problem. Greater than the problem. But we're not that wired that way. We look at that and just say, we're doomed. This is over. There's nothing we can do about it. God says, no. I said I would never leave you nor forsake you, that you may boldly say, the Lord's my helper. Stand back and see the salvation of God, in other words. Watch God work. Now, let me show you the, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. Notice these two situations that really reveal what I'm saying to be true. God made a promise to Zacharias. And then he made a promise also to Mary. Gabriel came to Zacharias and said, your wife in her old age is going to conceive and have a child and his name is going to be called John. Zacharias, who is a priest and he's working in the, in the temple, you would think that he had some amount of faith, some degree of faith, but he's an elderly man, up in years, walked with God all these years. Zacharias says to Gabriel, Gabriel, whereby shall I know this? I am an old man and my wife well stricken in years. Isn't that what he said? Isn't that reason? Isn't he staggering because of reason? How can this happen? This, 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 this is just not going to happen. Okay. Notice this. And the angel answering said unto him, Look out. I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God and am sent to speak unto thee and to show thee these glad tidings. And behold... You shall be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed because you believe not my words which shall be fulfilled in their season. Notice the language. God made a promise. He didn't believe the promise. So the promise is not going to be fulfilled if you keep your mouth going. <laughs> so we got to silence your mouth so that God can fulfill the promise. And so what's happened? what happens to Zacharias? He's struck dumb. He can't speak. Don't speak against the promise of God. He was limiting God to his own understanding. He was limiting God to nature, to experience, to reasoning and common sense. And so there was this staggering. Gabriel knew it, and he was offended by it. Who do you think you are? I came from the presence of mighty God. I gave you this message. This is a promise I'm giving to you, and this is how you respond? wasn't happy. But look at Mary. Here's a 15-year-old girl as opposed to someone who's been in the ministry for probably the majority of his life. Who knows the scriptures up and down, back and backward and forward and all that. And look at here in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verse, verse 34. Gabriel comes and appears to Mary and says to Mary, you are going to have a child. You, young lady, you're going to be honored. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? That is a legitimate question. We know how children are born. And so she says, as a young girl, How, since I don't know a man? And he, she tells him how. He tells her how. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, the power of the high shall overshadow thee, and that there also... Therefore, also the holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, 
She has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her, who is called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me, not according to nature, not according to common sense, not according to reasoning, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. You know what Gabriel said? There's no word of God that's void of power. Any word that God speaks will be fulfilled. It just takes someone to believe it. Zacharias didn't believe it, so therefore it wasn't, well, it was fulfilled only because God silences him, silenced his mouth to stop speaking against it. Mary, young girl, and what does she say? Be it unto me according to thy word. That's exactly what God wants us to say. What, that's what he wants us to say. Look, here's the promise. The promise is, I'll fill you with the Holy Ghost. The promise of the Spirit belongs to you. The person's supposed to be saying, I believe, I receive. God fulfills it and makes it a reality. Or, with his stripes you were healed. The person is to believe and say, be it unto me according to your word. God then makes it a reality. So it doesn't happen apart from our cooperation. If we want God to fulfill his promises, then it's up to us to see to it that we do our part. He made a promise, we believe it and act on it, and it comes to pass. In Hebrews 3.19, notice what it says. So we see that they could not enter into the promised land. The promise, what kind of land? The promised land. See, it was the land of promise. But they couldn't enter into the promised land. It couldn't be fulfilled. Why? Because of their what? Notice it doesn't say because God changed his mind. Or God forgot. You know, he is the ancient of days. He might have been getting up there in years. Either maybe he forgot. No, they didn't get in. Why? Are you out there? Why didn't they get in? Unbelief. No other reason. The giants didn't keep them out. The walls didn't keep them out. The warriors didn't keep them out. What kept them out? Unbelief. Unbelief. What did they do? They exalted the problem above the promise. The problem took precedence over the promise. Am I saying this is easy? Is any fight easy? Is any fight easy? We're, we're told fight the good fight of faith. What's the fight? God says he will help me. I'm telling you, I, my brain is going in this direction. I can't believe it. I'm supposed to believe I received it and your head is just spinning. How are you going to get the results that you're looking for if we keep vacillating? Remember James said, if you waver like the wave of the sea, you're driven with the wind and tossed, you're not going to receive anything from the Lord. So it's important that we recognize our need to take our place and do our part. Look at verse 21 of Romans chapter uh, 4. If Abraham and Sarah didn't cooperate with God, God would have to probably choose somebody else. But they did. And it took trial and error on his part. And being fully persuaded. What was he fully persuaded about? What he had promised, he was able also to perform. Notice that. What he promised. He was saying, sweetheart, you look good for 90, honey. I mean, you look really good. 
And I know you look good, but I think internally some things aren't working like they ought to be. And you know, honey, I know you think I'm like an atlas and, you know, <laughs> but some things just aren't working like they used to when I was a lot younger, okay? But God said that you and I are going to have a child against all reason, against all logic, against all everything nature can throw our way. You talk about staggering, you talk about not believing, you talk about how easy it would be just to say there's no possible way. Anchor the soul on the promise of God. They exalted it above all the negativity. They held on to that. Anchor the soul. The soul, anchor it. God said it. God said it. I believe it. I believe it. It's too late. It's done. I believe it. I took the promise of God. I believe the promise of God. And boom, there's a left pulmonary artery. And there's someone going to be 21 years old here pretty soon who they said he couldn't live more than three months. Amen. So you see, faith transforms promises into realities, but there's a fight along the way. And it is a fight. Because you'll be challenged, you'll be tempted like Peter walking on the water. We'll all be challenged in every possible way imaginable. What are, we what are we supposed to do? Cling to the promise of God and say, God, you said. God, you said. You can't make it materialize, but he can. Amen? Amen. Praise God. So God wants us to believe his promise. So we're playing chess. We're playing checkers. God moved. Right? What's our move? Believe the promise. Act on it. What's his move? Make it a reality. Let's all stand together before the Lord.